Wer nun den lieben Gott lässt walten. I'll let you follow our organist directions for a translation of that, but I just had to say it. I had the opportunity. <laughs> Welcome to the Houghton Wesleyan Church. It's wonderful to have you all here. And although this might not seem like the most appropriate thing to do in the formal, traditional 11 o'clock service, I'm going to issue a challenge to you who normally attend this service to think about next week moving forward two or three rows if you're halfway back or more. Join us up front. Leave the seats for those who might come a little late. Just a thought. Anyway, welcome on this beautiful Lord's Day morning. It's good to have you with us. Please stand with me for the call to worship. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Dear Father God, we come before you today, Lord. We can't even fathom the greatness of who you are. But we want to thank you so much for creating us. Your word tells us that you created us to be in fellowship with you. That's where we find our true joy and our true purpose in life. Lord, please guide us in that direction. Keep being the hound of heaven that pulls us toward you. And we will give you thanks in your name. Amen.
that is our prayer, that God will give us the wisdom and courage to be his people. Take a moment to share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship today. As we are getting going with the ministries of the church, once again, we um, want to take a moment to, um, to offer prayer for all of our volunteers. Um, this will include people who sing and play and teach and help and serve on committees and do things like deliver meals on wheels or help with uh, projects that we have, the food pantry. Um, there's this wide variety of things that people do, and some of them are more visible than others, but they are all significant and important. And so if you are involved in a ministry of the church, serving, helping uh, in any way, we want to ask you to stand, and we want to offer a brief prayer for you. Heavenly Father, thank you for every person standing here before us today. Thank you for their willingness to serve you and the church. We pray that through their service, we will be more and more the church that you've called us to be. And that we will be a witness to this world of the glorious nature of your kingdom and who you are in Jesus Christ. Pray, Father, that you would give strength and courage and wisdom and grace to every person. And we ask that they would sense your spirit filling them and empowering them and enabling them to do the work that you've called them to do. Pour out your spirit on all of the the volunteers who serve. And whether our service is visible or invisible, May we have a clear sense that you are at work. And we pray this through Christ Jesus. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated.
There's something about getting a vision of God that helps us see ourselves more clearly. It seems appropriate that uh, asking God to be our vision leads us to the prayer of confession. So please join me as we pray together the prayer printed in your bulletins. Heavenly Father, our sin is ever before us. An unkind word, a jealous spirit, a harsh reply, a twisted truth, an apathetic response, an unrealistic expectation, a sinful choice. Set us free from the insecurities that drive us and forgive us for the self-centered ways in which we too often live. Let us once again your words of pardon. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Amen. Our Old Testament reading this morning is taken from the book of Malachi, chapter 3, verses 6 through 12. I, the Lord, do not change, so you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask... How are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. This is the word of the Lord. Please stand for the singing of hymn 360 as the ushers come forward.
Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we have an opportunity this morning to hear your word, to worship together in the comfort of these lovely surroundings and a land that has been bountiful for most of us. And yet we realize that there is much work to be done for your kingdom. Challenge us, lords, to be generous in every way possible. You've made a promise through your word to your people. Help us, Lord, to trust you for the outcome. In your name, amen.
we offer our prayers to God. If you would like to come and use the altar rail as a place where you offer your prayers, please come and join me. Father, we live in a world of pain and struggle, burdens, anxiety, fear, violence, hatred, war, a sea of trouble. And we read and see people who are struggling and wrestling and feeling the weight of all that our world seems to push upon us. We come today asking for your grace to bear mightily on our world. We know that you are at work. We know that you are doing what we sometimes do not see. We simply pray that you will continue to be our strength, our help, our grace. Father, we pray for our brothers and sisters in so many places of the world who face opposition and persecution and the threats of death every single day. And we ask that your grace would be upon them. Give them courage and strength, protection. We pray for all the people who are in this category of refugees. We feel overwhelmed by the burden and the needs and don't really know what to do, but we pray that you will work miraculously, and if you can use us, please do, your church and your people around the world, we pray that you will bring an end to the need for being refugees, and that you will minister to their needs every moment. Father, we pray for ministry closer to home. We thank you for the ministry of Southern Tier Youth for Christ and the outreach they've had in, in the county in northern Pennsylvania for years. Continue to bless them as they work in clubs and schools and, and in communities and with young people and families. And We pray that you would bless their work in miraculous ways. And Father, for the burdens and concerns that we bring about our own lives, we ask for your healing grace and your mercy. Give comfort to all who are grieving today. Bring healing to all who are suffering and struggling. And we think especially of Dave Doherty and Evelyn Heil. We pray for Alice Brown, Florence Tuber, Bunny Austin, for Mike Raybuck, Jill Tyson, Bruce Brennan, for Bev Rett and Micah Christensen, for Linda Roth and Dick Gould, for Crystal Blake and Emily Cricklar, and for others on our minds today. Pray for your divine healing in each one. Father, help us to see you at work in our lives, in this church, in our community, in the wider communities in the world. And give us faith to trust you more and more. We ask all of this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the one who teaches us the model for prayer, which we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 
Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
Children ages 2 to 5 may be dismissed for children's church after the reading of the New Testament. And the New Testament reading this morning is from Acts chapter 4, verse 32, to chapter 5, verse 11. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, Tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, How could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in, and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. This is the word of the Lord.
Please be seated. So the church was gripped with fear. You think? Wow. That is one of, this is one of those stories that, uh, you know, as I've said to you before, it may not always be best to tell our children when they're too young. You lie to a preacher, you fall dead. Bad news. It is one of those stories that confuses us. It, you know, we're left pondering, we're scratching our heads. Because quite frankly, when you read through the scriptures, there are a whole lot of worse stories I could think of where people who have done things should fall dead than this one. It is intriguing to me that the first sin, though, that the church has to deal with is related to money. And that ought, to, that ought to open our eyes a little bit. Because when we talk about money, the church talks about money, we tend to have this mindset of, oh, there they go again. Talk about money again. Church wants, just wants money. You know, it, it's, it's a very closed and self-focused kind of perspective. But the reality is, it must be pretty important. Because here's a couple that lies about what they do with their money, and they're struck dead. Now, I don't want to make the point that if we do things with our money that we shouldn't do, we're going to be struck dead. I don't think that's the point of the story. I do think there is in this story a, a sense that, that God takes what we do with our resources probably more seriously than we do. We have a tendency to say, well, you know... That may not be exactly what God wants me to do, but what's the harm? I go this route, I go that route. And again, we're not just talking about money when we talk about resources. It's what we do with our time. It's what we do with our talents and gifts. It's what we do with our energy as well as what we do with our money. We tend to live our lives as if while God is interested, he's not that interested. And maybe one of the things about this story with Ananias and Sapphira is to tell us God's a lot more interested than we may think. Jesus says to, uh, to the Pharisees in Luke chapter 20, he talks about how they, they, they steal money, they steal homes from widows. Then they go and they make these long public prayers appearing to be holy. And Jesus says, they're going to have to answer for that. We just read from Malachi's prophecy. And God says, you're robbing me, and because of that, you're under a curse. That sounds pretty serious to me. The reality is, we all wrestle with wanting to appear better than we are. It's human nature. You know, we we want people to think that we pray more than we do. That we read scriptures more than we do. That we're more compassionate than we really are. That we're more generous than we really are. And something about those lies that we tell ourselves eat away at who we are. It eats away at at the essence of our being. 
And instead of, of living a life that's being drawn toward God, it causes us to live lives and make decisions that lead us away from God. No wonder God is so concerned about it. No wonder it's such a dangerous thing to do. But what I love about this story is that we don't just get Ananias and Sapphira. We don't just get, don't do this. Before that, setting the stage for that is, here's what it should look like. And in beginning at, in verse 32 of chapter 4, we get this amazing description of the early church. It's, it's almost hard to wrap our minds around. that It talks about how they are so one in mind and spirit that whatever they have, they share. You have a need, here you go. I have a need, you give to me. And people are so generous that even folks like Barnabas go out and sell a field and bring the money and lay it at the feet of the disciples and say, you guys do what's best with this. I know there are needy people. And what's fascinating is it says you get the end of it, they say, no, really there aren't. There were no needy people among them. Can you imagine that? There are no needy people among them. Why is that? Because they're all so generous. That's what generosity does. That's the kind of atmosphere that generosity creates. Needs are met. People are helped. And a unity, a bond of spirit begins to develop. I think this idea that we see here of how much how connected they are and, and this, the spirit in which the early church operates is rooted in verse 32 where he says all the believers were united in heart and mind and they felt that what they owned was not their own so they shared everything they had I think that's the foundation for how we handle whatever it is that we have we realize it's not ours really we're stewards. We're just keeping it, we're keeping it for God. Everything we had has been given to us by God. Every gift we have, every talent we have, our time, our energy, our money, every material possession we have, all of it ultimately is God's. And we have it only because God has been gracious and given it to us. And when that is our mindset, when we can really focus in on that mindset... It changes our spirit of what we do with it. Because then when God says, look, there's a needy person, you go help them. We aren't having this battle of, but it's mine. We're saying, okay, Lord, it's yours anyway. So sure, if you want me to give what's yours away, I'll do it. If you want me to be generous with what's yours, I'll be generous with it. It's when we, like little children, walk around with our stuff saying, mine, 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 mine. That giving away and being generous gets very difficult. It's really about focusing our attention on on God and who he is and on Christ. It, It intrigues me that in the middle of this discussion about their unity and what they're doing with their possessions, he says, well, beginning verse 32, all the believers were united in heart and mind and they felt that what they owned was not their own, so they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's great blessing was upon them all. There were no needy people among them. Because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles and put it to those who had need. Doesn't it seem weird that they talk about the resurrection in the middle of that? It's all about sharing. It's all about giving. It's all about generosity. But in the middle of it is 
Oh yeah, and they preached about the resurrection. I don't think that's insignificant. If God can conquer death, what's a few possessions? If, if God can overcome our greatest enemy, death, what's a little bit of money? What's a lot of money? What's our time? What's that possession? God can handle it. And the promises of God are rooted in the resurrection of Christ, that God who conquers all will supply our needs. Because one of the things we wrestle with, and I think probably the main reason we tend to wrestle with generosity, is we're fearful. We're afraid. If I give that away, if I let someone use that, if I loan that to someone, what if they break it? What if they lose it? What if I don't get anything back? What if I'm left desperate? I've come to realize that fearful people tend not to be generous. Fearful people tend to hoard. Fearful people tend to grab and clutch and grasp. Fearful people are always saying, what if? It's hard, to, it's hard to break that grip when we are enmeshed in fear. But the only way to break it is to keep focused on Christ. Jesus says to his disciples in Luke chapter 12, My little flock, don't be afraid because God loves to supply your needs. And the purse of heaven never gets old and it never develops holes. I like that imagery. Whatever you give away is not more than God can replace. And sometimes, maybe God chooses not to replace it the way we want Him to, but we trust Him anyway. Because we believe that God is good and gracious and merciful. See, I... I'm convinced that our willing, what we do with our resources, how we handle them, is directly connected to our view of God. Do we believe that God is good and gracious and, and loving and, and, and that he is bountiful with his blessings? Or do we believe that God is stingy and half-hearted toward us and protective of whatever he has? Our mindset about that tends to cause us to take one of two perspectives about our resources. Either we take the perspective that, that asks the question, how little can I give and not make God mad at me? How little can I give and still eke by with God? Versus, how much can I give and still sur- survive? How much can I give away and push the boundaries of God's promises to me and to us? And our view of God will determine which question tends to direct our lives. what ends up happening is when you take this perspective of how little can I hang on to, 
it, it just reinforces our fear and enslavement to stuff. When we take the, the perspective of generosity, we find freedom and joy, life. I don't think I've ever met someone who was afraid to be generous and was joyful at the same time. I think it's almost impossible. It's like the fable of the monk who one day found a a precious stone in a riverbed where he was walking. It was gleaming and he reached down and looked at it. It's a huge stone. It was worth an immense amount. And he picked it up and he put it in his bag and he continued his journey and he came across a stranger who was hungry. And the stranger asked the monk if he would share some of his provisions. And the monk said, sure. And he opened up his bag to take out his provisions and the stranger saw this gem in his bag and he said, could I have that? And the monk said, sure. And he handed it to him. And the guy grabbed it and he ran off. Yeah, look what I've got. And a couple of days later, the stranger came back searching for the monk. And when he found him, he said, here's your stone back. He said, the first time we met, I asked if you would share your provisions. This time, I'd like you to tell me how I can get what you have that would enable me to give away something like a precious stone as easily as you did. That's freedom. It's freedom. And God isn't asking us to, to give away everything necessarily. But he is asking us to be willing to be as generous as we possibly can. And for some of us, that might be a, a baby step. It might be a second step. It might be a hundredth step. Wherever we are on our journey with God, he's simply asking us to be willing to be more generous, not because he just loves to see us suffer, but because he wants to lead us toward freedom and joy and life and away from death. Because the fear that causes us to be selfish eventually leads us to death. It erodes our spirits and our souls. It erodes our faith and our hope and our trust. It erodes everything in us that, that causes us to say, I want what God has. I want to be like Jesus. I want the kingdom. It leads us the exact opposite direction. And it may not be with the same kind of speed that Ananias and Sapphira suffered, but it will be death nonetheless. Because it's leading us away from the source life. You think of Paul in 2 Corinthians and he writes to the Corinthian church and he says, look, you know our brothers and sisters in Jerusalem are suffering terribly and I want to collect an offering for them. But I'm not going to, I'm not going to put the pressure on you. I'm not going to put the screws to you to give. I'm not going to say, hey, look, I am your spiritual father. You need to do what I tell you. Instead, let me just remind you of this. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is rich, yet for your sakes became poor, and that out of his poverty, you've become rich. It's not about guilt. You know, often when we talk about money and resources, we're sitting there going, oh man, one more thing, I'm not doing right. 
And, it, and it's not about hopelessness, you know, because we tend to say, I could never do that. I could never be as generous as Mother Teresa or St. Francis or Paul or Peter. We don't have to be. We just have to be willing to be as generous as God is asking us to be. And he's patient with us. You know, as we talked about this, this whole series of sermons about the church is not, you need to be better, but it's just realizing we live in the tension between what we are and what we're intended to be. And we acknowledge we have some ways to go. There's some much we need to learn. But we're not trying to be perfect. We're just trying to be a little bit more like Jesus. A little bit more like our Father. I love, in Henry Nouwen's book, Return of the Prodigal Son, talking about that story, he says there are some characteristics of God, of the Father, that we need to learn from the story, and one of them is generosity. And he says, when you read the story, the Father is exceedingly, he is abundantly, he's irresponsibly generous with both of his boys. He just keeps giving and giving and giving and giving and giving. And now and says, what I've come to realize is that every step we take toward generosity is moving us toward the Father. Every step of generosity, however small or large it may be, is moving us more and more into the image of our Father who created us. And it's enabling us to actually bear the image of God our Creator. Because there is no being more generous than God is. Not even close. From the beginning of time to this present day, the most generous being ever is God. Over and over and over and over and over again, God proves his generosity. And sometimes we have a tendency to think of God sitting up in heaven saying, how stingy can I be with these people and still convince them to worship me? Let's be honest, sometimes we think things like that. But the reality is, God is continually saying, how generous can I be with these people even though they keep ignoring me and rejecting? And God doesn't have to make that decision. It's who God is. He is generous. Generosity is a part of who God is. It's his nature. It's his character. It's not something God has to conjure up like we do. It's not something God has to say, well, I guess I better be generous today. He cannot not be generous. It's who he is. If we could just get a glimpse of that, it would change us. I know it would change me if I could get a clearer glimpse of that. And I'm convinced it would change us as a church if we could get a clearer glimpse of that. Everything about who God is, it just oozes generosity. And that's what he's calling us to be. Like him. In his book, Run With the Horses, 
Eugene Peterson tells the story of being out on a walk one day and out in the woods, and he came across this small lake and sat down on the bank and just sort of contemplating God and nature, and he happened to look up and saw a dead branch from, sticking out from a tree overhanging the water of the lake. And on that branch was a family of sparrows. There were five of them on that branch, three chicks and two adults. And he said, all he can figure is that the day had arrived when these chicks were going to learn to fly. Because one of the adults, they were all on the branch, and the the chicks were closer to the end than the middle, and one of the adults got closer to the middle next to them and began to nudge them toward the end of the branch. Just nudge after nudge after nudge, sliding them more and more to the end of the branch. Until eventually the, the last one was just barely hanging on the end of it. And one more nudge and he flipped off the end. And he made a nosedive toward the water. And just before he hit the surface, he began to flap his wings and fly. So once that was taken care of, the parents started nudging again. Moving the second one closer and closer to the end. And of course he's trying to hang on as much as he can. But eventually he gets to the edge and one more bump and he's off the end and nosedive and flap wings. And there he goes flying. Well, Peterson said that third sparrow had decided nobody was going to bully him. He was not going anywhere. And as the, as the parent shoved, he held tight. And he kept holding tight until eventually he did loosen his grip just a little bit enough to be able to flip under the branch and then he grabbed hold of it again. And so here he is hanging from this branch underneath the thing. And, and the parent just is trying to push him, but at this point he has nothing to push. So he's just hanging from this branch, just holding on as tight as possible. But this parent was determined, he was not going to give up. And so if pushing wasn't going to work, he would try the next best thing. And he bent over and he started pecking on his talons with his beak. Just peck, 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 peck. And eventually the pain of being pecked was greater than his fear of falling. And he let go. And just like his siblings, he nosedived for the water. And just like his siblings, before he hit the water, nature kicked in. And he began to flap his wings, and off he flew. And Peterson said, I I sat there watching that, and I thought to myself, birds can walk, and birds can run, and birds can grip hold of branches with their talons. But more than anything else, birds were created to fly. He said, I got to thinking about my own life and people I know and how often I'm hanging on to the dead branch of my bank accounts and my gifts, my talents, my time, and my energy, and my possessions, all the stuff that's so important to me. I hang on to the branch and I keep thinking God is being so mean to me And the reality is God is simply trying to help us experience what we were created for. And that is to be generous. Because in generosity, there is freedom to soar through life with joy and peace and love and compassion and freedom. And it's rooted in the nature and the character of God.
somehow Ananias and Sapphira couldn't see that. And somehow the rest of the disciples could. So what do we see? And the question about how we handle our resources really comes back to what's our view of God? What's our, what's our image of God? Generous or stingy? Wanting us to experience freedom? Or trying to hold us back? This is one of those subjects that you can't just talk about and you can't just think about. I don't know of anyone yet who has said, wow, they, they impress me so much. They think so much about being generous. Generosity is only generosity when it's done, when we do it. So here's what we're going to do this morning. At the end of your rows, in the middle and the end, are three-by-five cards. And I'm going to ask you to, to pass those along your row. If your row is out, there are other rows, I'm sure, that have them. I want to make sure everyone gets a card. Pass those to the people in your row. And I want you to write on the card something like this. I sense God leading me to, more, to be more generous about. I sense God leading me to be more generous about. And then we're going to take 60 seconds or so to think, to pray, to listen, before we write down the next words of that on that card. I sense God leading me to be more generous about. Father, as we listen to you, as we think about all the things with which you've blessed us, We see how generous you are and we want to be more like you. We want to live in the freedom of generosity. So speak to us about our money, our time, our energy, our gifts, our possessions. Whatever you know might be holding us. Whatever you know might help us live in freedom. I'm going to put up on the screens just some... um, thought starters for you. Sometimes you sit, we sit and we think, I don't know exactly where to go with this. Well, maybe this will help you. Of course, it may be about money. It may be about being involved in a service project. It may be about donating some of 
the food in your house. Maybe you want to volunteer to be a driver, Meals on Wheel, or somebody who has appointments they need to go to. Maybe you, you feel led to, to take a step of faith in the faith promise giving and, and to help us reach that goal. Maybe it's helping folks in the church or the community by preparing some meals or going to sit with people, helping them move. Maybe it's volunteering a church ministry. Wednesday night children's program is something that we have a a need for some folks. This is just something to get your mind started. It's not an inclusive, all-inclusive list. But before you go to bed tonight, write something down on this card. If you know now, write it now. If you're not sure, write it later. But before you go to bed tonight, write it on the card. And if you have a a gift, a talent, an ability, some way that you want to help us connect you with that, then let us know because we don't know what God's saying to you unless you tell us. So send me an email, send an email to the office, one other staff member, whoever's email you have. Send a note saying, I have some abilities in these areas and I'd like to be on the list. We're putting together a database of people who will help with projects because the truth is we are always encountering people who have needs. Sometimes it's money. Sometimes it's we need a new porch put on the house or they need some plumbing work done or they need some electrical work done or, or they, they need something else done or people need rides to some place and we've got a list of people who say, I'll help out with rides, driving people. If we know those things and we can be sort of the clearinghouse for that, we can connect people who say, God is leading me about being generous with this, with people who are saying, I have a need. Is there anybody to help me? So let us know. And as a church, let's keep trusting God more and more to make us the kind of generous people that he desires us to be. Let's stand for the closing
bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace.